Welcome back to Not Too Busy to Write. I'm Penny Winter, author and book coach. Today, I'm speaking with behavioral color and design psychology expert, Karen Haller, about her book, The Little Book of Color. I was really excited to talk with Karen about her experience of writing and publishing as an expert in her field. The ups and downs of traditional publishing, the compromises, and coming out of the process with a very successful book, which has now been published in 14 languages. I think you'll very much appreciate how candid Karen is about the highs and the lows of publishing. But before we get to the episode, I just wanted to let you know that my next Cornish Writers Retreat is now on sale. If you would love to have time and space to write, be cooked for and looked after with nothing to do with your time but write, read and perhaps take a walk by the sea, then this might be the retreat for you. The dates are the 1st to the 5th of February 2024 and you can book your place by visiting pennywinserwrites.com forward slash retreat and the link is also in the show notes. I absolutely love hosting this retreat. It's one of my favorite times of the year. So I hope to see some of you there. Enjoy the episode. Karen, thank you so much for being with me today on the podcast. Oh, my absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm, I have to say, I'm so glad that you had a, a spot vacant that I could just slip in. So I'm, <laughs> I'm thrilled about that. Well, it's great to have you here. And so let's talk first of all about what it is that you do. You um, you work in the field of behavioural colour and design psychology. Um, your book is The Little Book of Colour. But I think just for context, let's, can you just explain? Karen, thank you so much for being with me today on the podcast. Oh, my absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm, I have to say, I'm so glad that you had a, a spot vacant that I could just slip in. So I'm, I'm thrilled <laughs> about that. Well, it's great to have you here. And so let's talk first of all about what it is that you do. You um, you work in the field of behavioural colour and design psychology. Um, your book is The Little Book of Colour. But I think just for context, let's can you just explain what that is, first of all, before we yeah. go into the book? Yeah, because it's, um, it's a career that I forged myself, so it's not a well-known thing that I do. I specialise in applied colour and design psychology. And I work with businesses and design professionals to use colour and design psychology to influence positive behaviour, So whether that's for sales, for happier staff, um, greater productivity, you know, to get the right um, staff in, um, you know, to improve uh, your uh, recruitment um, you know, success. I work with brands. I work with corporate brands. Um, I work on big colour campaigns, interiors. Um, yeah, you name it. I mean, everything has colour mm. on it. I believe that everyone is in the colour business. So there's no one that doesn't use colour. There's no one that doesn't believe what to use colour in a way to um, create a positive experience or to attract the target market or, you know, especially with book covers when you think about it. Mm. Book covers are amazing how you can be emotionally attached straight away to and that can make a break even if someone wants to even open it or buy it so there's color everywhere so that's very much what I do um I love I love the way you explain that it's it's so interesting isn't it as soon as you start thinking about color it's sort of amazing in a way how just how huge a topic it is and just how many aspects of our life it affects but one of the things I wanted to talk to you about about your book was excuse me 
was um, the Little Book of Colour is um, uh, which the subtitle of which is How to Use the Psychology of Colour to Transform Your Life. Um, I wanted to dive into you in your work as a consultant um, and a speaker and a teacher. You're working very much with with brands and also um, and businesses and also design professionals. And mm. this book is actually aimed at anyone who has an interest in color and it's about applying learning about color and then being able to apply it in everyday life as an individual i'm really curious about that decision to write a book aimed at the everyday person when a lot of your work is with people who are professional designers um can you talk to me a little bit about that decision yes so i really wanted at first of all to write a book for the design industry mm. and i basically got a resounding no from them saying <laughs> We use colour intuitively. We don't need a book on colour. So when I was putting together the, the outline um, and, I, and, and working out what kind of book I was going to write, I thought, you know what, if I can't get to the design industry, I'm going to go for the everyday person and I'm going to push basically from the bottom up. Mm. And for me the book was more than a book on um writing a book on colour, it was very much focused on people who were loved colour but also were scared of colour because mm. it's amazing how many people love it, they're scared of it because the whole thing is they're scared of getting it wrong, whatever wrong means for them because wrong yeah. means something for everybody, something different. So it was, it's basically a book to help the world fall back in love with colour again. Mm. So that's that's how that then started. Mm. Um, I won't. I could now probably answer every one of your questions. I keep going, so I'm just going to stop there. I'm sure you're going to ask me something next. <laughs> no, I was. I, I'm just really interested in what you said about this idea of designers telling you that they they don't need to be taught about color and that they only look at color from an intuitive point of view. I'm really curious yeah. about that. Yeah. Do you? Is it is, is you do you find that when you when you come when you meet designers that they they have a they have a kind of their own ideas about color and they don't think that there's a wider kind of context for color. Um, so I've had I've I've asked this question for many years because I've really wanted to get under the skin of what that is. And I've had quite a few really interesting responses that I continue to get these same kind of cluster of answers. One of the big ones is. Designers have said to me, and they've been very honest, which I really appreciate it, they said, if I tell anyone that I'm studying colour, and people will think I'm not a good designer because I should already know it. Ah. They're willing to learn about form and function and form. They're willing to learn about lighting, space planning. They're willing to learn all these other things. They book at colour because they think they should know this because it is something that is so intrinsic to our lives. Mm. But at design school, at college, at university, I think it's a time constraint thing that they're usually just taught the colour wheel because mm. that's something is a is a um, beginning and an end, and it's it's a tight, compact thing to learn. Mm -hmm. You can learn that quite quickly. But what I think is that designers didn't quite realise maybe just the depth of how, where colour goes and what what. What's underneath? Because the the colour wheel is at the top of the iceberg. What is underneath the iceberg mm -hmm. is 
not just colour psychology, there is like so much under there. Yeah. And what this book did, um, we're jumping ahead a bit, but what this book did was open, I think a lot of them went, my God, like there is so much more to colour than, mm. than just the colour wheel. Um, he, and, and a lot of them uh, follow trends. Mm. And they think, well, it's it's simple and it's easy because I'll just follow the trends. Or they will look to see what somebody else is doing. Or they will um their own favorite colours. Yeah. That's something that a lot of designers, when they come and train with me, don't realise how much their own preferences was influencing their work. Mm. But they were making a lot of their work um what they liked or an expression of them instead of expression of their client. Yeah. So um, it was quite interesting. So, and quite often they missed, from my conversations with them, I could see that there was a misunderstanding from intuition to actually what um, using colour based on their current colour knowledge. Mm. And that's what a lot of them, when I spoke to them, realised that's what they were calling their intuition and it's not. Yeah, yeah. You know, because that's only your knowledge level. That's not your intuition. So there was a lot to unpack and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of emotion, very emotionally charged topic for designers. Um, oh, I know that. I, you know, I already know that. And it's, it's something that um, out of all the things that they learn or everything that you do as a designer, because colour is emotion, it's very emotionally charged. So it's a mm. very interesting topic you know to, to discuss with them it's it is really complex and and that's one of the things mm. I wanted to ask about because you know the book is it's not huge it is called the little book of color well, um, it's little because of the size it is little because of the size but I mean I I but really it's packed. it is absolutely packed this is what I wanted to talk to you about it is absolutely packed and mm. um you go from the history of how humans understand colour, the culture around colour, emotions of colour, the physical perception of colour, so many different areas even before you get to um, how to apply yeah. um, colour psychology. Um, so I wanted to, to ask about that. Like um, when, you were, when you were thinking about your audience as, um, as you know, an ordinary everyday person who's very curious about colour, um, how did you decide how much of that background we would need to understand in order to be able to properly apply colour psychology? Yeah, so um, when I was working on the book structure with Penguin, quite interestingly, before we even even approached me to write the book, I had already had a book structure. It was very similar to the one mm -hmm. that they had. They were it was it was Penguin Life, I should say it's not Penguin, Penguin Life, because they focus on um subject matter experts. Mm -hmm. Um they they were very clear with this book, excuse me, that they wanted the first half to be theory and the history and perception and how we see colour and our relationship to colour, etc., all in the front. Mm -hmm. set, and that's basically to set the scene. Mm -hmm. And then they really were clear that the second half was how to. So they were the ones that did that um, or, or specified that. And then I looked at all the different areas, 
everyday person just to give them a flavour, just to give them a taste because the main thing with all of that was them not to be scared, realise that colour is nothing scary. And when you read through it, the idea is to pique the curiosity and go, wow, isn't this an amazing thing? And therefore you take it away from I'm scared and I'm worried what other people think and I'm worried about being judged or whatever that is to, wow, isn't this fascinating? And when you've almost got them into that kind of a state and that mindset, when they then read, a lot of people tell me they just read it in one sitting or two sittings because it's very, very conversational. Um, and the second half is then how to, and by then the idea or my, my, my wish is that they then worry what other people think and they're just engrossed and really want to understand it for themselves. And it's been four years now, just over four years, so it came out in um, the end of August 2019 and virtually every day I still get some kind of message on some email mm. or a some social media saying how much this book has helped them and um and things that they always intrinsically felt but never say or couldn't express yeah. or even because to say that color psychology is going to transform your life is a huge statement yeah so yeah, and it's like, well, you know, I've got to live, got to live up to that. <laughs> and so many people say, "Oh my God, this has transformed my life." Yeah. Now, I have had some really bad reviews on Amazon, which, which I read. Which author has not had done? Has not. On Amazon. And I read them, <laughs> and I just go, you "Didn't get the book. Like you yeah. didn't understand it all." This book isn't for interior designers. I thought, and I was like, "Yeah," because even in the open. Even in the opening, it's really clear it's yeah. not a book for interior designers. Um, and it's not a design book, right? So, so that the really bad reviews have been ones I just go, "That's all right," because you just didn't get it. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, that first part of the book to start with. Um, the kind of what what we understand about colour and how we perceive it um, is so fascinating because I think one of the things that really clicked into place for me reading it was this idea that that we perceive colour on so many different levels, both on a kind of cultural level, but also on an emotional level um, and a, almost and a physiological level as well. And how all of those intersect to mean that colour is not actually as simple as we might think mm. on the surface. Mm. Can you talk to how those things kind of, I guess, converge to mean that uh, it's not as simple as saying red makes you alert, for instance? Yeah. So um, with colour psychology, the theory is, is that um, everyone in the world respond to colour the same way. Like you know, animals do in nature. So you know, because everything psychology is based in nature; it's not a man-made thing. So the premise, or the theory, or the the the, the hypothesis is that colors doesn't matter where you are in the world, we will have the responses to color based on either whether we're feeling positive effects of that color or the adverse effects. Then what happens on top of that is own cultural beliefs mm. so and that's a man-made thing because color and culture it's 
tribal elder, it's the church, it is the society, whatever that is, things of colour to have a meaning. Mm-hmm. We'll have, and because a lot of countries for many hundreds, thousands of years were very closed off, that cultural meaning could really take hold. Mm. So, um, you know, a classic one is in China, it is the colour of luck and prosperity and good fortune. White is the colour of death. Mm. So you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't go and um, sell products into China that were all white, for instance, because it wouldn't sell. Yeah. So that's a that's more of a cultural, a conscious cultural belief. Mm-hmm. And then we've got another one on top of that that is the um, your own personal preferences and your own personal associations. So while orange, you know, the positive for orange means fun and playful and joy. If you were, if your school uniform was orange, which I, you know, wouldn't, be, but you know what I mean, like a, <laughs> an orange or something, and you hated school, yeah, you would not see orange as being fun and playful mm. and, and full of joy. You would go, no, I can't stand it because it reminds me of my school uniform. Yeah. Even if we don't necessarily consciously remember, that's why we dislike yeah, orange. No, and yeah. most of the time when we don't like a color, it took me nine months trying to work out why I couldn't stand yellow. Ah, interesting. Couldn't stand yellow. It took me nine months and then it dawned on me. I hated any kind of yellow, couldn't stand any of them until I worked out what it was. So it can be that deeply rooted. Yeah. Also because it's so emotional, you could uncover what that is and it could bring up trauma. Mm. I know someone who can't stand red because she was in a car accident and the car that hit them was red. She just remembers that flash of red from when she was a kid and um, she sees red and she, what we do, we end up making the colour wrong instead of because we've forgotten the event but we remember the colour and the colour triggers the emotional response. Yeah, yeah. So they're all kind of intertwined but they're not. That's why in the book I talk about them as three separate things because Mm. you go onto the internet and you go onto any infographic for for, for, um, colour psychology they will have colour and culture, personal association. It'll have chakras in there. It'll have um, Basnu. It will have um, uh, Feng Shui. It will have everything in there. And they say that's all colour psychology and it's not. They're all mm. completely different things. So in the book where I've got all the tables with all the positive and adverse and everything, that is all just colour psychology. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So the same thing is that it's, that it is, it's such a fascinating topic because of all those layers that yes. affect our perception, yeah. um, which is another reason why um, I think it's incredible that in such a short space in the book you've managed to get such a clear understanding across. But let's talk about the second part of the book as well because it's about how we can apply color psychology to ourselves. And can you just describe for um, first of all the the how the four seasons work in terms of um, in terms of the colors? All right. Yes. So think of Mother Nature in the west, uh, the western, in the northern hemisphere. So I think the I'll start with um, autumn first because I think autumn and those top colors are the ones that we um, have a better understanding of. So when you think of autumnal colours, they are all like rust red, olive green, um, sunflower yellow, They're all these really uh, warm colours, quite earthy, and the earthiness in it is because these warm colours have all got back in them. 
so um, a percentage of black. So there's even warm blue, so a teal blue. Um, I'm trying to think of names because there's so many names are misused, but trying to think of the real common kind of names. They're all, um, without going too much into it, they're all yellow-based, warm mm. colours with a percentage of black in it. So you can even get that real earthy kind of faster pink, mm. you know, because it's not a clear warm pink. It's not, it's not a baby pink. Baby pink is quite clear. If you get that colour and you put the black in it, all of a sudden it turns into an autumn colour. Yeah. They're the colours that you would see in in a true autumn um, time, not what man and not what we've done with all the hybrids and all the cultivars and everything we've done to plants. In a true, true autumn season, there is a certain colour palette. Those colours are defined by that season because you will only see them in that season. Mm -hmm. It's the same with spring. You've got the... Um, got daffodils you've got all those really kind of bright greens you've got the bright sort of um you know um purple of the um focuses but there's colors that will only appear in a, in a not what we've done again a natural springtime mm. are colors they are same as autumn colors but they don't have any black in them so they're mm -hmm. all bright and clear because springtime when you know when everything goes to life it's all that really kind of bright light clear joyful colors and that's the energy of spring and it's the energy and it's a type of colors mm -hmm. so there's a color palette for summer there's a color palette for winter yeah and it's those colors that you see in each season so this everything that i that's in the book every single thing all based off mother nature mm. mother nature had dozens of years to get it right and to do it and so all i've done through I mean, obviously through my learning that i've learned and through my own teacher i learned from then taking her, her work who her work the work of everyone before her because we always build on from the person before us so in the book when I talk about you know how to that's all then my theory of how I then apply color psychology in order to then make it something practical and how you can bring it then into your everyday life the color palettes is just one part of it yeah 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 and I the thing that I find really interesting um is that the way when you go to the different areas of your life so how we dress our homes and work um you begin with behavior and you get mm. to think about the kind of behavior that mm. they want um, in themselves and in their environment before they think about um, other things. And I really, yeah. I find that really, really interesting, this aspect of behavioral design and mm -hmm. the idea of coming from behavior rather than just from feelings, because yeah. um, feelings sometimes can be a bit vague, I suppose, yeah. can't they? So, a mood, yeah, very yeah. vague. You know, because you can't see, you cannot see a feeling and you can't see a mood. Mm. You can only see a behaviour. Now, when 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 somebody says, oh, um, how do you want to feel in your space, for instance, you'll say calm. Yeah. <laughs> if they don't ask the right any other questions, the only calm that they know is what means calm, what, what is calm to them. So they'll give, they'll go, oh, I know exactly what you want. If you say what would you be doing in that space for you to know that you're feeling calm? What you're doing are the behaviours. Mm. Those behaviours will then relate back to 
want certain colours. Yeah. To um, not only then certain colours, if you not work out what the person's personality is because then you know what colour family to go to mm. and then you know what colours to go to and you know what saturation, whether that's, whether that's the lighter end, which is soothing, or the darker end, the more stimulating end, which is more, or that's more saturated end, which is stimulating. So that's how it all starts to come together. And that's mm-hmm. why I always start with the end in mind because it is, that's the outcome. And that's how you know you've achieved the right outcome because of the behaviours that you'll be displaying in that space to know that you've got the right design scheme. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And it's a, yeah, and it's the same with the clothes we wear. Yeah. How do I, how am I feeling today? Do I want to stay how I'm feeling today? Do I want to change how I'm feeling? How do I want to interact with someone else? You know, if you're getting up and giving a talk, you're having a meeting, how do I want to, how do I want to feel when I'm with these people, but how do I want them to respond to me? How do I want them to see me? Mm. And, and we can influence behaviour through colour. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so interesting. And in the book, there is a really fantastic quiz, which doesn't take too long, um, that you can do that will help you um, figure out what season that you predominantly yeah. fall into. Yeah. Um, because it, we generally fall predominantly in one, but have aspects of other seasons. We always, well, just to say, when you have a publisher, right, which is I've got Penguin Life, they make you do things you don't always want to do. Yeah. And I did not want to put that quiz in. Uh-huh. I just went, if we put that quiz in, you're going to think that's just it. And yeah. When I do my colour consultations, especially when I do personal, three hours. Yeah. I'm just going to do this quiz and just think, oh, that's it. Um, Probably what I could have done better in the book is further a few pages on talk about the secondary personality type. Mm. That should have gone That should have gone closer because many people go, Oh, I'm a mix between these two. I don't know which one. And I go, we are all we are all two. The only way you will know which is your primary, which is your colour palette, by putting the colours under your skin and then looking to see how you react and respond. Yeah. Just because you've got more answers in one than the other doesn't mean that's your primary. Yeah. I do say that, but it's not it's not close enough to the quiz. And um if I was to ever redo it or anyone ever said, you know, we want to do another edition and change anything, that's what I would rearrange. Yeah. We as human beings are always two. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, actually, I did do the the, the skin test just to be sure as well, and it was pretty loud and clear <laughs> for me. Yeah. So, uh, you're, so what I don't have in the book is about design style. It's a mm-hmm. whole, like, because I do color design psychology, right? So there's a whole other book on design style. So it's what it's not what you put it's it's what you leave out yeah and so your whatever you think is your primary that will be your color palette that's the colors you always wear and what is your secondary that will be your design style ah oh, interesting right so and you can mix your primary and your secondary in your design style so for instance if you were autumn um if you've got autumn in you and then they love textures and they love things that are, have weight to them and substantial and they love um, things that are very, very comfortable. If you've got um, spring, spring likes really light fabrics. They like things that are really floaty, things with movement. You know, they love um, they love things that dangle. 
because that's very much like the season. It's very mm -hmm. light. Um, and I'm spring primary. So I love I love filigree. I love things that dangle and dangle and I love floaty dresses and um, things that are very, very light because personality is light because the season is light because that time of the year, because spring also loves light. It happens to be the time of the year where it where light comes. So everything everything is interlinked. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's um, I would definitely recommend um, people go and and do a bit of a deep dive into that section because it's really fascinating. And I was really shocked at how much I just, I guess, reading a bit more deeply about autumn. I I just knew I just knew reading it that I was an autumn, and then I did all the tests that you asked me to do, and I could see it was so so clear. Deep into the things, and I'm wearing. You can see. Um, sorry, listeners, you can't see, but I'm wearing like a very textured. It's ribbed and it's loose fitting and it's comfortable and yeah, yeah, and it's cream rather than white as well, which is a more autumnal thing. Oh well no, so cream is spring, but ivory, right. ivory is autumn. Oh, okay. ivory, spring is very clear. Yeah. This is this is the other thing I've got in the book about colour naming. We can have we can I could be you could be saying um cream and I've got a different colour in my mind to you. Yes, yes. You know, and that's the biggest yeah. thing about colour naming is that if someone says, oh, um, I quite often get my students saying, oh, can you uh, tell me if million orange, what colour group that's in? And I said, well, just a name. You've got to sh I've got to see the actual colour, but in front of me because I have to classify the colour in the right group because the name is just a name. Yes. And in fact, actually, my boyfriend is colorblind and I keep forgetting. And then um, and it will come up every now and then he'll say something a certain color. And I just look at him and it just reminds me of how um, how names don't actually really mean anything. Because, of mm. course, to him and I, color names mean completely different things. Yes. Yes. Where yeah. he perceives color. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's, in fact, a really interesting page in the book where you have um where you're describing a, a tribe in Namibia who have lots of different words for colour that we don't have in English. Um, and is it, and you have a whole page of green squares. And yeah, you have yeah. to, um, I'm going to see if I can find the page. Um, pick, pick see which, if we can, yeah, which one is different? Because they can see very more difficult. greens. They don't have a word for blue. Yeah. So it's um so there's a whole page of greens and I couldn't tell the, it took me ages to tell the difference and you know what's funny Karen is of course that you know after years and years as a photographer I actually have very trained to see color mm -hmm. a lot of blunt because I've spent a huge amount of time staring at screens and color balancing and color matching and, yes, and all yes, yes. So I'm very I think I'm probably quite I guess color aware in some ways yeah. because of my work. Um, and I was looking at that page, <clears throat> like looking at it, going, "Oh my goodness, it's it actually taking me a huge amount of time to to discern that slightly different green color," um, which again comes back to how I guess complex color is if we don't have necessarily the language to communicate it um, between each other, even mm. in the same culture. But so on on that front, actually, in, in terms of publishing the book, that must have been a huge challenge of publishing was getting the imagery right so that you were happy with how it was represented on the page so oh. that you could understand what you were talking well, about. Well, apparently when one of the one of the deal, like a deal breaker for me was I have to be able to get every single image. And I um 
think when when I started, uh, said to me that um, I could do um, have all interior room sets. And by the time we started, all of a sudden, they changed to um, here's some Photoshop, here's some photo um, stock photo images. We'll change the colours. I was gutted mm. because it wasn't what we agreed on. Yeah. Um, and they said to me, "You're the only person." Amy Oliver is the only other person that's able to proof the colours of the images. Um, or the and I said, well, I should be able to. I mean, it's a like, book about color. I mean, about color. <laughs> like, don't like. I kind of thought, don't don't treat me like you're doing me a favor. It's like uh, I insist on this. Um, we had some quite heated arguments, mm-hmm. uh, arguments, discussions, uh, and I actually went in and I was there with the. Tone color chips, and I said, "See this color number. This one has this color in on this picture has to change." I'm really uh, don't really say this. <laughs> I'm I'm not happy with the images. Mm. Um, whoever they used to do the color rendering, like didn't put the shadows in, didn't put the um, you know, like didn't make the picture look life. Now, no one has ever said oh, the pictures are awful. Everyone loves them. You know yourself as an author. Yeah, what your vision is and what you want. Yeah, and it wasn't it quite what I had in mind because at the beginning I was assured I could go into a room, create a room set, yeah, get photos of it, and then that would be it. You're then saying here's a stock photo, just change the colors on that. It's yeah. a very different thing. It's very different, and I think this is a really good thing to talk about. I don't often have authors on who have done books with um that are illustrated which this one is and as a photographer I've worked on many illustrated books and they're very expensive to produce and I think this is like can't emphasize this enough it's a very 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 big investment compared to a regular hardback book to produce an illustrated book in terms of the paper and ink and things but of course also the work that goes into producing the images Um, but it is so it's so crucial to get it right. And it is a it is a problem that a lot of authors have, I think, with illustrated books. Um, and it's very dependent on the individual publisher about how receptive they are to the input of the author. And um, and certainly as a photographer, I, in the past, when I've only been a photographer, um, I've had zero input whatsoever about how, what they do with my images afterwards, mm-hmm. which is something that I had to learn learn very much to let go of um, as a photographer. But um, but it is a huge challenge. But in this book, particularly because the topic is colour, it must have been a really frustrating process for them not to kind of give you free. Yeah. Range. Well, even the cover, when the cover started, it was it was all different shades of bluey greys. I just went, oh no, it's a it's a book on it's color. So I actually worked closely with the the design the artist who yeah. created this artwork. Um, you know, Fair Dues, my my first editor, um, because she left, and then I got another editor, and then she left, and then I got another editor. But the first one did go back and just say, right, put more color in, and then I went and had a look at it, and then I changed a lot of the colors to make them more harmonious so it mm. so so virtually all so so all the colors there are those little paint strokes which is what they, they represent little paint strokes um that's all you know all from the autumn color palette 
because they mm-hmm. all had to be harmonious and it all, all had to fit in. Yeah. Um, but there was, but I just kept going back to them and saying, as per our agreement, like you have to. I was a little bit green and with a lot of the te- a lot of the information in my T's and C's, and there's things that I would very differently now. But one of the things I was adamant was that because um, they called it the little book of color. Do you know how there's that little book of Hugo or whatever it's called, the little book of yes, yeah, um, yeah. so, yeah, so lifestyle books, yeah, yeah, so um. My first editor, excuse me, my first editor designed this book size. She was the editor for those books. Mm-hmm. So she wanted this book to be in the same kind of category as that. So it was easy to hold in your hand and it was the same size and it was the same hardcover. So I said to them, you can have the you can you can have the book name. What I must have is I must have the uh say on all the images and all the colors mm. because otherwise what I'm saying what you're looking at not the same yeah I can't I can't be saying one thing in words and illustrating it in an image a very different way it's match I said otherwise I'm not in the book mm. so um they were very there's t- times that I did have to go back and say you know remember our agreement yeah um, and Karen, did you have an agent, or did you? Or no. did you see, no. oh, yeah, this is interesting because I think um, I think they approached me. Yeah, because I think me. what mm. is interesting, and I think this is a really important point, is that when um, although lots of experts do work directly with publishers, part of the problem with working directly as a publisher is you don't actually have an intermediary who can manage some of those problems. That, oh that no, exactly. Make. Yeah, because they would have done that all for me, um, yeah. but I had to do it all myself. And and I've got a corporate background, so I it wasn't I haven't had difficult conversations before. I was very, very clear if I could not get the colours that I wanted and looking the way I wanted, even though I was not happy with the images themselves, I said then, then, then was, I would just stop the book. Yeah, yeah. Because it's my reputation. Yeah. And so it's like don't ever, like three-quarters of the way through, if it's not working, if it's, if it, if it's going to damage your reputation, then don't do it. Yeah. I think this is a really, really important point because um, let's, Let's talk about that now, actually, about the idea of writing and writing a book as a, as an expert in your field, because I think um, I think you know it's it's it can be a bit different to writing a book as an author who plans on you know continually being an author and that's what you do for a living, because obviously this the part of the point of doing a book is is to support the rest of your work as an expert, um, and so in a way there's, there's there's absolutely no point at all in doing it unless it's going to work for you. Um, but talk to me about that and how publishing a book with a publisher like Penguin Life, which is, you know, um, a really big publisher, um, how has that um, supported your career since then in terms of work opportunities and in terms of, um, of authority in your field? Yeah, so um, everyone always says that book is like a big business card, like a calling card. Mm. Um, and look, I should say I'm I am I am so grateful I, I emailed back that day that I got that email from Penguin, right? When they mm. said we've got a book idea. 
And I am so grateful because this book is out now out in 14 languages, right? Mm. And the deals team or whatever the team is that what they called goes to the Frankfurt Book Fair and the London and the London Book Fair and whatever the other book fairs. So they worked really hard when this book first came out. In fact, the book was in its f- first draft with the most shocking pictures <laughs> that the first editor had picked, you know, like you know, no disrespect. Um, which they're all gone because I'm like going, what? Um, the Dutch publisher already said, I want it. Yeah. I, and I'm like going, what are they basing that on? <laughs> and now what they did base it on and what I heard was that they bought um, rights for The Secret Lives of Colour by uh, Cassia Sinclair mm-hmm. because they did so well, they, um, I don't know what publisher, I can't talk my head what publisher, you went with um because that did so well they snapped this one up mm. so i had publishers snapping up the book in fact by the time the fourth one came i think it was netherlands france um i can't remember the third one but the fourth one was italy and then i burst into tears because i went oh my god this is real it's happening like it took mm-hmm. four before foreign publishers to go, oh, my God, oh, my God, this is happening. This is all before the book had even been properly written. It was like, oh, my God. Um, so what, it, what it's um, my big, just say my big audacious goal, because I think, you know, had a vision bigger than, bigger than just having a book, was really my big goal was to get the world to fall back in love with colour again. And because I had no idea how that was going to happen, as it started, you know, going into different languages, I said, oh, my God, this is how it's happening. Um, what that has allowed, uh, what's happened is I've got a lot of people have written to me, called me and said, I've written, I've read your book. I would love to do a course with you. I'm a designer. I really want to learn how to do this. Um, my client has given me this book and all my clients now ask me questions about colour psychology I realise I don't know about it. They've read your book. I went and read your book and I realise I now need to know about it, right? So that's happened a lot. Oh, that's really incredible, yeah. So that whole pushing from the bottom up, I went, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, it's and This became the Sunday Times top ten design book. I'm like going, it's not a design book, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but it, books take on a life of their own. Yeah. I was... For a long time, I was really going, it's not a design book, it's not a design book. And I thought, you know what, Karen, shut up and just let it do it its thing. Yeah. So, because I, um, and then a lot of people will complain and go, I bought this book and it's not a design book. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I've had lots of um, big corporations, um, architects, I've had brands. Um, I mean, I had that before. Yeah, it's just it's just got a bigger and a wider reach, and I was always you know I did a lot of international speaking. I was um, you know interviewed a lot on radio. It was I did have that all. This is just like I they say oh we know you've got a book out. Um, we know you know um, we know that you're the leading expert in this. Um, we want to we want to speak to you we want you to come and we want you to the keynote we want you we want you to work with us on a on a project 
or we're really stuck on this problem with colour, clients don't like anything to show them, can you, can you have a look? Basically, you know, become a, a troubleshooter. So all these really different and interesting angles are coming up. My, my biggest, biggest joy, even though I don't have any courses yet, I am, my, my aim is to do a course based on this book, but my biggest, biggest joy is that um, when people write to me and say that, oh, they're not scared of colour anymore and they now understand themselves and they know now that why they like what they like. Um, so that's, that's the biggest thing, that's, yeah. you know, that's really brought me joy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so good. It's so, I mean, because I know it's really it was a really challenging book to put together in terms of, you know, having to push for the right imagery and and all those kinds of things and compromises you made with the publisher. But to know that you really reached some of the goals that you wanted to achieve with it is mm-hmm. incredible. And um and this idea that your ideas are kind of coming from the ground up now rather than it's, from the top down is yeah. Is, I mean that. I mean, what more can an expert ask for in some ways about their ideas being out in the world? Yeah, um, I mean, I really want to do a revolutionary change. You know, yeah. it's you know, and that we look at and we deal with color and we look at color differently. Mm. Interesting thing too, which your listeners might be interested to hear. As I'm writing this book, the whole way through, I'm thinking this just can't be a book about color. It just sounds odd. I'm writing a book about colour and I, it's niggling away at me that this, this can't be a book about colour. And then three quarters of the way through the book, it was, oh, my God, it's not a, actually, colour is the vehicle. This is, a, this is a, a self-expression. It's a book about coming back to self. It's a book about expressing who you are from the inside out. Mm. That's what went into the introduction. So if somebody goes to a bookstore, does a sneaky read of the introduction, kind of the book right yeah Yeah. because the rest of the book then goes into the detail that very first part it is about who we are Mm. it is about connecting who we are and then I went yes color is the vehicle but this is really what the book is about Mm. and then it was much easier for me to then go through and make sure that that thread or that kind of was you know seeding was all the way through that is why I get a lot of people saying, my gosh, this book has changed my life. Yeah. Because now they go, do you know what? I don't care about trends anymore. I don't care what anyone else thinks. I'm 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 wearing what I want to wear and I'm expressing who I am. And I'm yeah. like, good on you. That's that's you know, that's the way. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think that speaks to why it's been so popular, right? Because it's not a book about Sometimes we, when we think about colour, we might automatically think of the surface of something. Um, mm. But actually it's mm. so, it goes so much deeper than that um, to the absolute core, I guess, of who we are and how we express ourselves. But, yeah, um, but yeah so you can see how it, it will speak to audiences so much when that, when that aim is so clear, that aim of yeah. connecting with yeah. is so clear. And, and that was something that anyone gave me free reign on mm. because they didn't, Check everything, you know. I, I, that was that's something I was surprised about. I kept on saying, "Have you read it? Like, have you read it?" Um, and they go, "Oh, we skimmed through it." And I went, "Yeah, but have you read it?" Like, because I really thought that they would absolutely read it. They said, "We've got so many books." But I was really surprised they didn't read it properly, like thoroughly. Wow. They, yeah. yeah. I mean, 
So, and, and in a way, <laughs> they trusted me, you know. They, they they trusted me, which I am really grateful for. There were some topics they wanted me to put in and I could explain why that wasn't relevant and why it would take track and why it wasn't even my area ex- expertise. Mm. They wanted me to put, they had put a chapter in about chakras and I go, that's completely different. That's a spiritual modality. Yeah. I would have to go research it myself. I don't have any expertise in it because it's not colour psychology. Like my thing is colour psychology, so I need to stick to that. The only reason why I talk about personal colour association and colouring culture is to show that is not colour psychology. Yeah. yeah. Show the difference because those are the two things that are probably the most mixed up. Consider yeah. colour psychology when they're not. So I said that's why that's relevant. These other things that you want me to put in are not relevant. And they said, fine. Mm-hmm. And then when I had the whole ha moment about, oh, my God, it's, you know, it's just a vehicle and the whole thing, they were, I don't even know if they even knew that that's what I did. That's what I did. <laughs> Which, so, so for that, I am very, you know, I am very, very grateful for. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Karen, thank you so much for chatting through all of this with me today it's it's such an interesting thing to talk to someone who's you know work everyday work over many many years um and it has to be channeled in some ways not all of it but like in channeled into one book um and become a calling card for you so it's it's really really fantastic to to chat with you about it thank you so much you're more than welcome um and um, I will put links in the show notes to both, first of all, the link to the book, but also so people can at least very much have a look at the cover. The cover is, I think it's absolutely useful, the cover. I really love it. Yeah, um, and I'll give you also a link to the first because you can download the first chapter for free so they can download that. Fantastic. I'll put that link in the show notes as well. Um, thank you so much. for. Oh, pleasure. Always a pleasure to speak to you, Penny. <laughs>